The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture this morning is Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Sister Denny. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But he delights, say delights. He delights, he delights, he delights in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the stream of water that yields its fruit in season. And it does not wither. It does not blow away, but it prospers. It's not easy for us as Christians to wait on God. But blessed is the man who is planted in the most solid and firm thing that we can ever imagine in our lives. Aren't you glad that you're saved by the Lord Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that he waited to come down, removed himself from his throne, wrapped himself in human flesh in order to die for you, for our wretched selves? Aren't you glad that you know him? As we look at our text this morning, I think we would have a greater understanding of who the Lord is, um, the way we see him go through trials and temptations, testings and tribulation. Many of us can attest to we've been through things in life, but what Jesus teaches us, and not just teaches us in a way that we ought to emulate, but helps us to see how the Lord, the Lord allows us to be tested. Before we go to the word of the Lord, let me just give us just a brief understanding that what we see in these three temptations are not just simply uh, isolated events, um, but they actually allude to Old Testament understandings. I will not have the time to do a a, a deep uh, exegetical treatment of this verse, but this is attributed to the season that we're in. How many of y'all was hungry on Thursday? Some of y'all ain't raise your hands because you weren't fasting that. 
We fast in second Thursdays. Second Thursdays. Um, midnight to four, I was hungry. I was in the airport. People eating, chomping on stuff. I had to pay. The lady walked by with the Biscoff cookies. I'm like, Lord, I'm trying to wait on you. I was hungry. But, uh, and, and, and I was in a room full of people. I had to skip lunch, and I was trying to make it. I was like, you know what? Everybody else eating? Dude, I, I got to do this. But, uh, but I, 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 Charday called me right in the time of need before I was going to fall. And we had a long conversation to help me to wait on the Lord. But I was hungry. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you and we love you for your mercy and your grace and how good you've been to us. We pray, Jesus, that you use your word to strengthen your people. Help us to understand what you're saying to us this morning through your word. Hide me beneath your cross. Speak through me, Lord Jesus. Allow the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer, all God's people say together, amen, amen. So I was telling... Uh, I discovered some in our story, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I think I, I hadn't told y'all this story. First time I drove up a mountain was in August. It'd probably be the last time I drive up the mountain. <laughs> but what I understood was is that God has a path, right? So we're driving up the mountain, me, my wife, and my son, and as we're up in the, in the Rockies, we go. And we stopped by one of the visiting centers, and you can't drive and look over everywhere else, right? You ever drive another mountain, then you take a look, and you realize, like, I'm on a mountain so I can fall? So I, I, I had to make sure that I, I, I kept my eyes focused. However, this was an amazing trip. This was a good trip. This was a good time. We stopped by the visiting center, got all the information. I stopped by, I talked to the conservationists. I made sure I got my map in order for me to figure out where I need to go. And when I got, when I got the map, I asked the lady, where should we go? What's a good place to go? She said, oh, you should go here, Alpine Visiting centers 12,000 feet in elevation above sea level and I was like why we got to go there why we just can't go to the next place and so she said it's a beautiful place and everything how many how many y'all know it takes time and you may have to go through some things to see some beautiful things as we were on this, this trip, we, we get in and we get past the gate and now I was on the way and I was looking at the map but the map didn't seem to be the place that I needed to go. I made a right turn and then I seen people climbing up this dirt road and I was going in a circle and I said, baby, I don't know where we need to go. And so she was like, well, maybe we go back this way because I'm not going up that dirt road. I don't know where that leads. I don't know where that leads to. So I'm going. I turn back around and we see this big elk. We see this waterfall. And I'm just amazed at all of these things. And I'm like, this is enough. We can go down the mountain now. <laughs> My wife, as adventurous as she is, she said, baby, we got to keep going. So I said, okay. I make the right turn, and we continue to drive, and the roads were windy, and the roads were twisting. And next thing you know, it become, we, got, we got out of the car, and we stopped. We took pictures. We did all of that stuff. And my heart began to palpitate because I was just like, how high am I going? Because I don't have GPS no more. GPS is gone. So I'm still looking at this piece of paper, trying to figure out how to get up the mountain. And I make another turn, and next thing you know, it's just drop off on both sides big SUVs coming down and winding down the road and I'm like this is the reason I don't do this stuff because I'm about to have a panic attack and so my wife in the back her and MJ enjoying all of the scenery and I just told her I said babe as long as you don't tell me you're scared 
I won't be scared. But I was really scared. I didn't want to tell her how scared I was. And so we got to a point to where the drop-offs were so deep, if I would just make this, make a slight turn, we may, we may, we may, it may have been over for us, okay? We, we, we might have been seeing Jesus and not waiting on him any longer. But I said, babe, we got to make a stop. She seen this caribou, and she was like, oh, my goodness, look at it. So we seen all these different animals. We seen a, a marmot, which is like a, a squirrel in the mountains and everything. And, and, and I, I'm taking pictures, and I'm looking at the water and all of that. And then I asked the conservationist that was standing outside, how far do we need to go in order to get here? She said, you're just about seven miles away. Seven miles doesn't sound so far, but in my mind, it's super far. And so I said, babe, I don't know if I can do this no more. We got to turn back. She said, no, I got us. We're going to drive. And see, here the thing is, I jumped in the back seat. MJ didn't know what was going on. He didn't realize how scared daddy was. But as long as I was sitting in that back seat and she said she, she got us, I felt comfortable. And we made it to our destination. It was beautiful. But how many of us know that we need somebody to help us on our journey? How many of us understand that the moral of the story is sometimes we're so fearful of the next step or the next decision, the next trial, the next temptation, whatever may happen, that we want to turn back around from where God is trying to lead us in order for us to be at, a, at the pinnacle of where God desires. We are crippled by fear. We don't wait on him. We don't trust on him. We allow ourselves to fall to the traumas and the triggers in our lives that mean that we are too proud to listen to him. We can't hear him in the midst of temptation. We can't hear his comfort in the midst of trial. We cannot hear his comfort in the midst of turmoil because we are so confused that the frequency is now turned off. We don't trust in what he's given us. We try to use our own devices. Temptation and testing will always come. They will always come. But will you allow the Spirit of the Lord to lead you? Will you allow him to guide you? And will you, I want you to remember this, admit your vulnerabilities. Because when we remit our vulnerabilities, what happens is we then can hear the voice of the Lord. If we admit our vulnerabilities, we can then hear the voice of the Lord. The Bible already told us God's grace is sufficient where? Where? In our weakness. His grace is sufficient in our weakness. There is a spiritual connection to our dependency upon Christ and clearly hearing his, his direction. A deep connection between our dependency upon Christ and hearing his clear direction. As we look at this gospel, many of us have to understand that deliverance were for the people of Israel. Much of what we see alluding to this, 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 this in this New Testament text is the Old Testament Israel and where they were journeying, journeying through the wilderness. And as they were, they were tested. But this dealt with the covenant infidelity of a people who were supposed to be faithful. And Jesus teaches us that he is the most faithful. The doctrine of impeccability, meaning that he is the one that is without sin and can do no sin. Allows us to see that Jesus was not just a superhero, but that he is able to sympathize by the way that he was being tested and or tempted. 
You have to understand that as we look at this exegetically, you see the word tempted is the same word as tested. And we know that, and we'll see this again in James 1.13, that God does not tempt his people with evil. Let me go to my three points so you can understand what we're saying, what we're going to this morning, because I feel like time is already getting behind me. Discernment, number one, discern when God is testing you and when Satan is tempting you. Number two, divine protection should not be diminished to our self-centeredness. And number three, doubtfulness weakens our worship. We see this in verses one through four that discern, discern when God is testing you and when Satan is tempting you. Are you aware of that? Are you aware when Satan is actually tempting you and when God is testing you? Look at what the text says here. It says, then Jesus, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Oftentimes, we focus on the devil tempting Jesus. But who led Jesus? The spirit. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness, which when you read Mark's account of this, it says there's animals and wild beasts. So he was, he was definitely keenly aware as to where he was being led. But James reminded us when tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me. For God cannot tempt, be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. That's what the Bible says in James 1.13. And so when we looked at the Spirit is leading Jesus up, we see that he is being tempted and that clearly the Holy Spirit is with Jesus. And it's not the devil leading Jesus into temptation. That is a good clarifier because the devil is not in control of Jesus as he is going through the wilderness. Many of us give the devil too much credit for the oppression in our lives. Many of us give the devil too much credit for where we are in the deep and the deep troubles that we feel. The spirit is leading. This then gives a framework for us to understand that not only is the spirit leading Jesus in this moment, but the spirit is leading Jesus through his ministry. So if we, if I would encourage you, we should not focus on the temptation when discerning, when discerning when God is testing you and when Satan is tempting you. Do not be focused on the temptations of the devil, but be keenly aware of the spirit leading you. Some of us are so intellectually sound that we cannot adhere to the very voice of God. It sounds as if when we talk about the voice of God that we are speaking of something so otherworldly or out of the Bible that God is now mute to his own people. If we believe that God has not changed, he then can speak, he can still speak to you. And he speaks to you in the deep recesses of your hearts. I think about this a lot of times when I'm parenting my son. And as we're all, as parents, some of us and those that are teachers and those that are aunts and uncles, grandparents, you're always trying to help these little people navigate life. It is difficult to navigate life because you're trying to tell them about gospel truth in the midst of culture that is trying to subvert that gospel truth. Many adults yourselves, you're saying, I'm trying to maneuver, maneuver through life myself and I'm having trouble. Amen, somebody. But I want you to understand that 
what is grabbing after our young people heart. Young people, I want you to listen. What's grabbing after your hearts is all of the TV shows, the love and hip hops and the, and the ink, whatever his name it is, and the other reality shows and, and, and Raven Simone show and uh, It's So Raven and all of those <laughs> are grabbing for your attention. The stories that you read and the things that you have to consider, you have to be delicate in communicating what is truthful while trying to combat what it can be harmful in deceiving, leaving seeds of falsehood to take root in the little hearts of our individuals. Many of us struggle with that. And so even when there is a positive to something, a positive to something. We have to examine the motives and the agenda. We must lead with gospel agenda and truth and righteousness to our children to help them do what? Discern the voice of God and be shielded by truth. Not be shielded by your do's and don'ts. There is an absolute difference between trying to shield them with do's and don'ts and shielding them with truth. Shielding them with truth means you actually listen to what your children are saying. Listen to what they are trying to communicate and understand and do not respond by simply trying to instruct them on the next thing but simply reminding them of truth and that you love them and that you care for them and that everything is not simply about trying to protect them from this people group or this particular community because I can tell you right now you can shield your children all you want but when they leave your house if they don't understand truth they will be lost very practical very practical I'm going to tell y'all something funny. My son right now, I didn't, I didn't want to tell y'all this, but I'm going to tell y'all this anyway because this is the type of parent I am, okay? My son is, he's learning about all of the coins and the presidents on the coins, and so he's in my room, and you know, daddy balling. I got a lot of pocket full of change, okay? I had a nickel on my dresser. And he said, daddy, I know who this is on the nickel. I said, who is that son? He says, Thomas Jefferson. I said, oh, that's good. They teach you that at school, okay? He said, and then I know what's on the back. I said, what's on the back, son? Monticello. I said, listen, Daddy going to take you to Monticello because you're being educated on one aspect, but I want to deepen your education because I don't want you to simply understand one version of the narrative. I want you to understand a holistic understanding of the narrative, which will then inform your identity. But see, see, I want to tell y'all, if you're not catechizing your children, if you're not understanding how you can remind them of gospel truth, have them in somebody's Sunday school, keep reading the Bible to them, make sure you fall on your knees and pray, help them to see and sings worship songs, they will be lost because all they're singing is every other song in tune out there on the cartoons, but they don't know how to sing the gospel. Verse 2 and 3 actually help us a little bit more because it sees that it's interesting that the devil tries to tempt Jesus in the very thing that he needs while he's hungry. Jesus is absolutely famished, and he said in, in the text, Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is hungry, and as he is hungry, it alludes to the fact that he is faithful to God amidst the pains that he's feeling. 
He's faithful to God in his spiritual need, even though that he's fatigued in his physical need. And what does the devil do to try to deceive him? He tells him, why don't you just turn this stone into bread? Now, I can preach a sermon on each, on each temptation, so bear with me. Because I think that what the devil is trying to do is trying to, is trying to say, if you are the son of God, that's what the text says, if you are the son of God, he is which he has been baptized right by John in chapter 3, it's good that it is right, it is close to one another because what Matthew is trying to help us see is that he has already been anointed. He's already been appointed. But this, this plausible call or possibility calls, if, if you're the son of God, what do you mean if you are the son? of God. He is the son of God. And I believe the devil understood his divinity, but he wanted to test his divinity. He wanted him to perform a emaciated, crowd-pleasing miracle and not an ordained, God-ordained, divine miracle. And this makes us understand and help we should all understand when we go back to the garden, what did God tell Adam? Not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right? But what did the devil try to tell Adam and Eve? That if you eat from it, you will be like who? God. Isn't he, doesn't he have the same tricks? Doesn't he have the same way in trying to deceive us? In trying to have us believe in the lies that we are not created in God's image or his likeness? Y'all are looking at me funny, I understand. But don't you remember when you, when you first came, came to the Lord, when you made that profession of faith, but somebody told you, your family member told you, oh, why are you believing in that religion? You ain't, you're not really saved. Remember when you fell and you sinned, but then your, your friend looked at you and said, see, that's why you're not really walking with the Lord. Remember when somebody doubted you and tried to tell you who you were not to be, and somebody tried to, tried to subvert the actual truth that God effectually called you, regenerated your heart, adopted you as a child, and proclaimed over you that you are righteous. The devil tries to trigger us by deceiving us according to temptation that will trigger our trauma. A lot of times we like to detach our trauma from our temptation. But if you were abused, you will have trouble with leadership. If you have father wounds, you will have trouble with someone leading you and instructing you what the Bible tells us to do and adhere to community and one another. If you abuse substance, you will have trouble being faithful to people because subtly in you, you will always feel as if they know the deep addiction that you have. If you struggle with pornography consistently all of your life, you will feel as if you can never be good enough. Because the shame that you feel, you're hiding yourself sexually. If you continue to allow the devil to use these schemes, beloved, I'm telling you, he will try to destroy you and isolate you from community. It is his, it is his way of making sure that he can use your physical needs against you. to try to lead to spiritual demise. That's how you are able to understand God's voice in the midst of temptation and struggling. Jesus is present 
desire for food does not negate the fact that he is still trusting in being led by the Lord. Pinnacle of this situation is that it draws him into a deeper intimacy with God. It draws him to understand that he ought to lean on the spirit more, which intensifies his relationship with Jesus Christ. There is a marrying of truth, of, of, tr- of transformation in the Lord, and a marrying of information in the Lord. And if you marry those things together, you will live a godly life. But if you only have information in the Lord, and no transformation... You will fall because everything that you think that you stand upon is not solidified by your heart being changed from stone to flesh. See, I, 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 I want to emphasize something right now that I think that many of us think that if I make my spiritual life only about me feeding myself, Coming, feeding myself, coming, getting something. We, we lack it every, we lack having a worship that is hinged upon Christ alone. And it only becomes worship if I get a good word. Worship if the song's on point. Worship if I could do X. Worship if everything being hinged on you. This leads into our, our next point that divine perfect, divine protection should not diminish, uh, uh, should not be diminished according to our self-centeredness. Whenever you're hungry, do you contemplate on being hungry and stand in the Chick-fil-A line and think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm hungry, but I, I'm, I'm not going to order something. No. You're hungry, so you're going to order something. When you're spiritually famished, isn't it funny how when you're hungry spiritually, you beat up and shame yourself? Or in moments of getting closer to God, you give God ultimatums. We cannot hear God's voice. We cannot hear him amid temptation when our circumstances are created around what we dictate or what we feel is right. God, if you answer X, I want you to fill in X, then I'll do X. God, if you meet me here, then I'll do, I'll be faithful. God, if you change my marriage, then I'll do this. God, if you, if you open up the door here, then this will change. God, if you, why is it that you need God's divine protection and providence in order for him to do something? Why is there an ultimatum? Think about it. If you only want to hear God answer and fulfill your ultimatum, are you really open to hearing his will? The ultimatum deafens us to the voice of God. One scholar said this, that when it comes to this second temptation, it's interesting that whoever desires to experiment with God's power unnecessarily tempts God by subjecting his promises to unlawful scrutiny. You then make his promises, which we see the devil uses, Psalm 91, 11 through 12, against God because it talks about God's divine protection. But God is going to protect his people. He doesn't need to be coerced in order to do so. 
He doesn't need to be tricked or fooled in order to do so. And so I believe that this is a vision in verses 5 through 7 where God is standing, in the, where God is right before the devil and he's literally, he's not literally on the pinnacle of the holy city which is in Jerusalem. But what we see is that he is giving him an idea of what this vision should be but it's deceiving. And this vision is saying that if you then do what I say, if you then are God, then won't you, won't you do this? Isn't it funny that this vision is challenging something that's promised? One of the things that I learned early as a believer is that I will never do anything without godly counsel. Many of our quote-unquote faith moves or selfish moves in order to try to pull God to do what we want him to do. Our faith moves or selfish moves in order for us to try to get God to do what we want him to do. But doesn't Proverbs tell us, Proverbs 15, 22 say, without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. When we misapply faith moves or trying to use God's divine protection, what happens is we find ourselves trying to open God up to our desires where we need to be open to his desires for us. Do you, are y'all tracking with me this morning? Because I really and I truly believe that as Christians, we are so eager, and this is what the prosperity gospel does. Baby, your next blessing is coming. God is going to open up. God can do whatever he wants to. But it does, it's not dictated upon how much you worship. It's not dictated by simply how much you give in your pocket. It's not dictated by how often you read his scripture. It's not dictated by what you do. It's dictated by the fact that you make that he, he is the apple of your eye. He is the very individual that's leading you. And your divine protection does not come because of your self-centeredness. Your divine protection becomes because you are in the hands of God and he is the one leading you and he is the one making sure that everywhere you go, he he is with you. This is why when the children of Israel in Exodus 17, 1 through 7, they did not trust the man of God, Moses, as the covenant representative leading them. What did they say? Moses, we're tired. We're hungry. We need water. We're not moving. All this time, God didn't parted the Red Sea, plagues all over the place. He didn't fed them bread up out the sky, everything. And now you all you, you you can't ask God for water. You gotta demand something and be rebellious. God actually named that place Massa, which means testing in the Hebrew, because they tested God. This same thing is happening in this where the devil is trying to deceive Jesus in order to test God. But what does God say? God not only says God man should not live by bread alone. But on the, on the word of God and every word out of the mouth of God, he also says, you want to test God. We can't test him. Why? I haven't seen that movie. Seen it before. I'm all the way through the previews at the end, and I know what's going to happen. This is what Jesus says. And so when you think about this, you have to say to yourselves, why then are we fasting and praying? Why are we trusting leadership and, and, and elders and pastors in this season? Why are we trusting deacons? Why are we trusting their spiritual leadership? 
Why do y'all trust us? Because the Bible calls us to trust in the people of God so that we can lead you into the presence of God and living a life that will thrive because of God. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to trust in the leadership. This is not me making a selfish plea. I want to encourage you to allow yourselves, and y'all have heard me say this several times, to pray for your leadership. Pray for the people that you see ministering in front. Pray for people that you see serving. Because like I said a couple weeks ago, it's hard to pray critical prayers about people when you're offering them to the Lord. Let me continue to move. Doubtfulness weakens our worship. Verses 8 through 11. Pastor, what do you mean? What do you mean by this? What should I do in a season of doubt? Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. When I was a Christian, I had the King James Version. I was probably 16 years old. And a couple things that I would do. I still am a Christian. I probably use past tense words. That's why you're laughing. See, Aaron been messing with me the whole time. She's taking my time. I got to keep going. Uh, but, but, but I, I am a Christian still. Pastors. Okay. You, you, you with me? I would read Psalm 51 and memorize it. But then I would also um, pray when so- the same thing Solomon prayed. God give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. I, I just pray that. And it's still a prayer in my life. God give me wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Because not only did I trust in godly counsel, whenever I had wisdom, I actually asked a brother and or sister or my spiritual parents, what do you think about this? And if they gave me a no, I would go back into prayer. I've dealt with people who said, I am not going to let so-and-so stop what God is doing in my life. If we are a body that functions appropriately, then so-and-so can speak into your life because you're trusting in the body and the leadership of individuals in order for you to grow spiritually. Now, that's hard for some of us because we got some spiritual hurt. We got some church hurt. Some pastors didn't hurt you in life. Some Christians didn't failed you. Some people didn't treated you wrong and all of that. But can I say, don't allow yourself to misidentify every single individual according to your past experience. One of the things that I learned early in marriage counseling is that EGR, extra grace, is required. And that I ought to seek the best and assume the best from my wife every single time. When I walk in the door and I feel as if she's attacking me and not understanding if, she, if something has happened, I misinterpret the situation. And now we're arguing about what, something else and she needed me in the moment. I think some of us need each other, but all we're hearing is missing communication. In this season of prayer and fasting, I want us to pray that we become a deeper community 
that love one another, that desires to be with one another, that cares about how the well-being of one another, that cares about our children, that cares about the development, the spiritual maturity of our children and one another. These are things that I desire for our church and for our body. Why? As a pastor, I, had, I learned a while ago from a mentor, my job is to make sure that you get home safely. And all I want to do is make sure that as you're on the mountain, that Jesus is driving and I'm not driving and I'm just sitting there interceding for each and every one of you and not just be interceding for you I hope you praying for me that's what I mean church I'm not strong enough I'm not smart enough I'm not good enough I'm not perfect enough I'm not enough in order for us to be what we need to be but he is so every time you see a pastor open up the Bible, every time you see the leaders get up here and worship, don't put everything on us. We need you to be able to be invested so that we all can trust in God together. But when you got a vendetta, when you feel some type of way, and when you don't want to express yourself and you just want to leave this place, all I want to tell you is, why don't you wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord as we're in community together and not hold it against me? Don't hold it against somebody else. Say to your neighbor, I love you. James says, ask for wisdom. So I ask for wisdom. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials, testing trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. How many times you know that you don't feel like there are things in your life that can mature you because they hurt? There are things in your life that can mature can complete you because they hurt but what he is saying persevere and you will lack nothing and if any of you lack what is it we're not talking about money in your pocket we're not talking about all of the physical things he says if you lack if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask God who gives it generously gives it generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you but when you ask when you ask look to the person and say when you ask you must do, you must believe and not doubt. Doubt weakens your worship. You must believe and not doubt. How do I know doubt weakens your worship? Because he says it right here. Because the one who doubts like the wave of the sea will be blown and tossed by the wind that that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In some of they, what they do? all that they do. How many of you know that when God says something he promises if you ask he gives it and this is what the devil tries to do the devil tries to make sure that he offers, really sly offers God the kingdom. He says Jesus this is another way that you can save the world. If you just fall down to me and worship me you will be able to save the world but what he chose Jesus is a kingdom of a world with glory without sin but Jesus knows that his purpose and his design is not to fall down to, the Satan, to Satan who shows him this false world 
world without blemishes, but he's come to remove all sins, not just all sins, your sins. And as he's come to remove those sins, Satan now tries to sidestep Jesus, trying to make sure that he misses the cross. But can I tell you something? He tried it again with Peter, while he says, Peter, Peter, won't you tell Jesus he's not supposed to go to the cross? Just as Jesus told Satan, get behind me now, he says, be gone, Satan, when Peter tries to make sure that Jesus can sidestep the cross. But can I tell you something? Jesus didn't come to sidestep a cross. He come, he came to run through all of the terrible tribulations and the temptations and the destruction and the tragedies and the trauma and the hurt and the pain and all that you feel in life in order for you to know that he is a God that loves you. I was locked in the room this week with a bunch of people for the denomination. And one brother had a powerful story. He said, I was shot in a bank robbery. And he was saying that he got shot in this bank robbery and he was leaving, he was walking out and he fell to the ground. He says, a woman stops in the car, she rolls out the car. He thought it was all over. He didn't know what to expect. I would have thought it was all over too. I would have been saying, I would have been praying in tongues, y'all. Y'all better believe it. Oh, shoot up a Honda, don't shoot me. He falls to the ground. The lady rolls over and she bandages him up and she says, it's going to be okay. You are not going to die today. Let me just take a brief moment that many of y'all may not realize what just happened. That God, in that same situation, when he delivered him, he went to everybody and said, did y'all see the woman who bandaged, bandaged me up? They said, we didn't see anybody, Bill. There was nobody that came to your rescue. They looked and they searched for the lady who stopped. They asked if there was a car and they said, we seen nobody. He said, that must have been an angel. Just as Jesus had told the angels to leave him in a moment, I mean, the devil to leave in a moment that angels came and met every physical need and every spiritual need and I believe that the angels of God can come around a church like downtown it don't sound too spooky don't let it get out of time outside of some of the confines of what you've been built up to believe I believe that God still sends angels to minister to his people he did it for Jesus he can do it for you and I want to tell you he did it because 2,000 years ago what he did was you were the one that was in distress you were the one that needed to be bandaged up. You were the one that was hurting and afflicted. You were the one that made sure that you were trying to hold on to all of the past that you had. But God said, if you let it go and you trust me, then you will all you will be free and you will be delivered from every evil and present evil and every test you will be able to endure because the cross is manifested by the blood and the bread right here for you. So beloved, as you partake in it, I want you to think about the visions that always try to hold you down that always try to remind you of what you can't and I want to tell you that you can not because of some prosperity gospel I want to tell you you can because he did it we were all desperate for him and I think in this season as we wait on him beloved I'm sorry that I yelled so loud I wasn't going to share this, but I'm, I'm going to tell y'all. I didn't tell y'all ever about how, y'all go ahead and come up. I didn't ever tell y'all about my experience when my mother died. I watched my mama die. I watched breath leave her. Her hand grow cold. I watched the very woman that was with me from birth leave. 
And I called my spiritual mother and I said, I always prayed that I would die before my mama. And she said, baby, you don't want to feel that pain. I mean, you don't want your mama to feel that pain. That's not okay. And I know that some of y'all feel that. But it was the church that ministered to me. It was the family of God that came around me. When the pastor said, we can't have your funeral here, there were people that came alongside of us. And my pops wasn't praying. My sister wasn't praying. I felt lost. But that's why I love the family of God so much. Because even though I didn't see you in that season, God had me purposed and planned providentially to be family with you. And I don't know what all you're going through, but we're going to go through some stuff together. By fasting and praying, we will be strengthened together. Father, we thank you so much that you're one that reminds us that we ought to wait on you and you alone. And you're consistently refining us. And I pray, Jesus, that we understand that through what you've done for us, and God, that we continue, we continue to walk in, the li- in line of what you purposed us for. For it is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people say together, amen.